you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning. 1 Thessalonians 3 verses 1 through 10. We're going to, our outline is going to follow along a, an acronym of SCAR. And uh, you'll see how it matches up to sacrifice, compassion, affirmation, and then remembrance. And it's going to spell it out and we're going to see how that's kind of done through the, the passage this morning. But again, um, most of us, if you've lived any kind of age of life, you have a scar or multiple scars. And scars mean different things, don't they? You can get scars from things that you did that were unwise. Uh, I remember my first scar was because I was running in our house and we had linoleum floors and I was in socks. And boom, right into the corner of the wall and split my head open and went to the hospital and they stitched me up. And then I remember that, I only remember this because they tell me this, but then I ripped the stitches out that night. And so my dad took me back to the hospital and said, no pain medicine this time. I don't want him pulling it out again. So that was one scar and I still have it. Okay. And there's other scars. I have a scar on my arm from being unwise in the choices of how I drove a car in gravel. But there's also some scars I carry because of love. So we were on uh, my friend Gene's catamaran growing up in Cocoa Beach, and we were out sailing with some friends who didn't know really how to sail very well. And we got caught, and uh, one of our rudder pins broke. Uh, while we were out at sea, and a storm blew in. And so the storm blew in and blew us straight, and we had to go into shore as quickly as possible because um, they tend to make good lightning rods uh, when you're out there. And so we told the, everybody, say, when you get off the catamaran, when we get in close to shore, jump to the side of the catamaran. Don't jump in front of the catamaran because it can tip over on you and hurt you. Okay, okay, okay. And they, what do they do? They jump off in front of the catamaran. So here's the catamaran starting to go forward. So I grabbed onto the catamaran um, on the backside to pull it down so it didn't crush them. Well, what happened is the the tackle uh, was not locked down by the rope. And so when the wind shifted right across, right into my hand, and it stuck in my hand um, and broke a couple of bones, and I'm sitting there in pain, and my friend's going, you're not doing enough. Why are you not pulling the sail down? I'm just in shock. I'm just like, I didn't want him to die. So we all have scars. The question is, what are they from? So we know that Jesus is the only one who will have his new uh, body, and he'll be the only one that will carry scars in the new heaven and the new earth. Did you ever think about that? The only one. Everybody else will have perfect bodies except for Jesus Christ. And he'll carry his scars for eternity because he paid Because of his love for you and me. So let's go to the word this morning and hear about what love does for us and to us. The Apostle Paul speaking to us. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker on the gospel of Christ. He was there to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one would be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we would suffer affliction. 
just as come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we I return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for the sake before God, as we pray most earnestly day and night, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to your word, we need it to wash over us. Lord, may we put away all distractions. May we put all the things that would keep us from hearing the truth. May we put it away so that we might allow your word to go deep into our minds and to our hearts. Lord, may we truly see what it means to love the way that Paul loved and the way that Christ loved. And Lord, may we find ourselves dealing with many scars because we love other people the way that Christ loved us. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So the first thing we're to see in verses 1 and 2 is we get to see how God's deep love leads to sacrifice. And now there's a, a difference between, and I don't know why I don't have control up here. There we go. Good job. So God's deep love is very different than momentary infatuation. So you're going to have to either give me control or you're going to have to pay attention. You ready? You got it? You're going to pay attention? Okay. Put it all up there for point one. We'll just do point one, point two. There you go. Put it all up there. Go, 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 go. Nope, stop. Okay. So deep love leads to sacrifice. That's your S, a part of the scar. It's not something that just seeks comfort. See, sometimes love is painful, is it not? So the first thing that we realize is that Paul is allowing himself to endure the pain of loneliness. He has a deep love for the Thessalonians. It's not a momentary infatuation. If you have a momentary infatuation, you want things of comfort. You don't begin to sacrifice for other people. But what happened here is Paul had such a deep love for the Thessalonians, he gets to the point where he says, I can't take it any longer. I have to know what's going on with these people. And again, we, you have to put yourself back in Paul's day where, again, letters are taking longs, months, even longer sometimes. It's not like today where you get on and you get to see someone um, on the video screen. You don't get a, a call from all around the world, all at a moment's notice and stuff like that. It's not like that. So Paul has been separated from this church because he's been removed. Not because he's wanted to, but because he's been removed for, for hard things. And he so loves the church that he says, I can't stake it any longer. And he says what happens then, he's willing to allow himself to become lonely. And he says it, he says, I'm willing to be forsaken in Athens. I'm willing to stay alone and send my other workers to other churches. Now again, that's, that's very telling. Because it's not easy to do ministry alone. It's not fun to come in the midst of a group ever and to feel like no one cares. 
No one understands. No one understands your history. No one understands what you think or how you feel. And yet, that's what Paul says. Sometimes ministry and the love that we have in the ministry puts us in a place where we're willing to let go of other people and find ourselves in the midst of loneliness. See, that's the thing that he does. He lets go, and it's very painful for him, but he allows Timothy, his brother, this person that he loves, who's been doing ministry with him, he says, you know what you need to do is you need to go back and you need to encourage this church. You need to be there. But Paul, what about you? I'll be okay. You need to go and you need to do the ministry. And so he calls him a brother. And one of the things that uh, Alistair Begg says that I think is, is uh, very appropriate, there are no grandchildren or stepchildren in the family of God. People all around you are either your brother or your sister. And so he calls Timothy his brother, and not only his brother, but he says, Timothy is my co-worker with God, not just with Paul, but with God in regards to the gospel. So he's sending his brother back, and he's, he's feeling the pain of being forsaken and alone. And he does that. Why? Because he wants to prepare them. And he wants to prepare them how? And he says, I want you to strengthen and I want you to encourage. Those are the two words. He's supposed to strengthen. He's supposed to make sure that the Thessalonians have a solid foundation. Make sure that they understand what it means to live as become followers of Christ. Because the reality is, afflictions are coming. And so he says, I want you to go back and I want you to buttress up their faith. I want you to encourage them. I want you to strengthen them as they continue to grow in the beliefs of the gospel message. And not only that, but then encourage him. Encourage them, Timothy. Now, part of that means to come alongside. That's what we talk about in regards to the Holy Spirit. It's coming alongside someone. There's a, a, a poem, and I don't even remember where I found it. It's a poem that I used uh, for youth ministry, and it was always uh, something that I gave to my senior, seniors as they graduated and went on. And it's called The Bridge Builder. It says, An old man going a lone highway came in the evening cold and gray to a chasm vast and deep and wide, through which was flowing a sullen tide. And the old man crossed in the twilight dim, for the sullen stream had no fear for him. But he turned when safe on the other side and built a bridge to span the tide. Old man said a fellow pilgrim near, you are wasting your strength with building here. Your journey will end with the ending day. You will never again pass this way. You've crossed the chasm deep and wide. Why build this bridge at evening tide? The builder lifted his gray old head. Good friend in the path I have come, he said, there followed after me today a youth whose feet must pass this way. This chasm that has been not to me, to that fair-haired youth, may pitfall be. He too must cross in the twilight dim. Good friend, I am building this bridge for him. See, that's ministry. We are to be there to come alongside, to encourage, to be the bridge builder so that those who come behind us will find themselves safely during the twilight dim. It's part of the reason why we allow our students and youth to be a part of things. It's They're a part of the church today, not a part of the church tomorrow. And so you're going to get some days where things don't go perfectly. You know what? I'm not either. 
and neither are you. So we allow God to minister to us and through us. Now talking to that youth back there, go to the second point. So the second thing that deep love leads us to is compassion. And the opposite of that, if you just have a momentary infatuation, would be judgment. Because here's the reality in verses 3 through 5. It talks about you're going to be moved. No one should be moved by the afflictions for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. So he says that this is the thing that's inevitable. It's a warning. And he's saying, I want you to be prepared. He's in essence saying, I told you. And again, you want people to tell you, especially if you go in for a procedure, correct? A procedure is not something you want to be surprised by. You want someone to tell you, hey, this is going to come. This is going to hurt. This is the process. This is what's going to happen. You want to be prepared. And that's what Paul's doing. Hey, you're going to experience pain by being Christians. And I want you to know that. It's not the health and wealth gospel. It's not that. God calls us sometimes to hard places. To do hard things with hard people. And he says, I want you to know that you're going to experience pain firsthand. But it's very essential. Why? Because it drives us to Jesus. Where do you find your hope? Where do you find your comfort? Is it with your your president? Is it with your government? Is it with your military? Is it with your finances? Is it with your family and friends? It's only Christ who can satisfy fully. And so it's essential that God puts pain in and affliction in our lives to point us back to him. Now Paul says, I want you to be aware that affliction comes in different ways. The first way is through deception. These are people who give flattery to you. There's even a, a commercial out right now where it's the, it's the texting. It's a mom and a son, and the son starts to give accolades to the mom. Mom, I love you. Mom, you're the greatest mom. Mom, and she said, what, did you fail the test again? Oh, you're such an intuitive mom. You're such a special mom. See, we recognize that in our own homes, don't we? Dad, you're the greatest. What do you want? How much? Dad, why would you think I was going to come to that? Because it's not normal. If people are flattering you all the time, they're looking for something. That's the point of Paul. Now again, I know that there are some sweet women out there who don't have a a bad bone in their bodies. That's a lie of Satan. Okay, they're all, all of us are bad. We all need Jesus. But I do know that there's nicer people, so don't send me an email. I'm a nice person. You said I was bad. If you're a nice person, continue to be a nice person. Don't send an email. Second thing is there's the affliction that comes through deception, but there's also persecution. So that's what Paul has dealt with. It's, it's the attacks that are happening from the outside as well as sometimes the inside. Sometimes it's the religious people that are the most ruthless and cut the deepest. And Paul is saying, hey, be mindful of this as we go to the next slide, because this is what the scripture says. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So how are we supposed to react? Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Rejoice and be glad when people persecute you. Now again, you don't revel in it. I'm not seeking to go to prison. But if put into prison, how do I respond? If you are put in a hard situation, how do you respond? You respond with joy. You respond because you're preaching the gospel. The next thing we see, next slide, is we see the temptation. And this comes when he says, just as it came to pass, just as you know, they're experiencing. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So there's the reality that there's affliction, there's persecutions that go on, but there is the temptation. There's a temptation for rejection. There is the tempter. So Satan does seek to get us to stop and to question God's love for us. He wants us to to find satisfaction in other things. Listen to what the, the seed in the soil, what Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 13. And it's a little bit longer, so I'm just going to read it to you. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the, excuse me, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown, sown in this heart. This is what was sown along the path. And as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. So Jesus is even telling the apostles, hey, things are going to get hard and there's going to be temptations. And you know what happens? People fall away. There are people who will hear the gospel and be like all of a sudden, yeah, I want to say the prayer. And then the next day you were saying, hey, why aren't you at Bible study? Hey, why aren't you coming? No, it's not for me. Then you get to other people who um, come, they have the experience sometimes, usually for me it was always at youth camp or something like that, and they come for a little while, but just when they get back to school or something like that, and the temptations that come from around them are people start making fun of them, all of a sudden they don't want to be Christians anymore. But then you have the ones that are harder, I think, because they grow up and they seem like they are Christians. But when the cares of the world start coming in, these are the people that when sicknesses come or when bad things happen, they begin to say, well, I just don't believe anymore. And Jesus says, well, you never believed. See, the reality is, is that we have to understand that ministry is about sacrifice. Jesus is very clear. There is a war on. Quit seeking comfort from this world. And we all do it. I want, I, I want this to be a comfortable sh- church. I want all the problems and the other things to go to, to the Cav or Calvary Chapel. I don't want them to come here. I want comfort. I want peace. I want easy And so do you. And God says, you know what? Sometimes that doesn't bring you back to the place of the cross. Sometimes that makes your life thinking that you've got it under control. And the moment when we think we have it under control is the moment when we realize we don't. And so we've got to remind ourselves that, again, the C is we are about compassion. So then we go to the next line. 
we have deep love that leads to acclamation. This is verses 6 through 8. But now that Timothy had come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. So here you have the good news has come back. So Timothy's gone. Um, he's heard how their faith has grown and hasn't passed away. They're not in trouble. And so he brings back a, a report to, to Paul and he says, hey, things are going great. They're growing in their personal lives. Their faith is growing. Their love for one another is growing. They're, they're growing personally. But they're also growing as a church. They're having fellowship. They remember you and they're, they're good memories, Paul. They long to see you again. And they have this, this great fellowship that's going on. They're, they're spending time with each other. They're building each other up. And so what Paul says is he says, now that brings me comfort. If you've ever had someone that you've discipled or, or someone that's gone away in, in the faith and you're just like, oh God, please don't let them fall away. And they come back and they say, hey, this is what I, this is what's God doing in my life. This is how God is moving in my life. Um, we got to hear, um, stories from Christine and I, people that were in our youth group back in Colorado that now, um, are married and they have, they just have gone out and they've gotten two kids from China, um, as they've already raised their two other kids and they were going on a cruise. And, uh, so we got to spend just a couple of hours, but it was so great to hear how they're doing. They're living for Christ. And it was just like, man, maybe I did do something okay. God, thanks for encouraging me with those good words, with that comfort, because that's what the, it helps take care of that anxiety. It, it starts to say, hey, our anxiety is turned to something of delight. We love to hear the good stories. We love to hear of people who are grown in the faith. Because why? Because it means it's a rally. Have you guys ever been a part of that? Ever in your lives? Have you ever been part of something where it's a rally against all odds? And all of a sudden, you know, I think of baseball a lot of times. So, uh, one, you know, two outs, the, the bottom of the ninth, two outs, game's almost over. Someone gets up, gets a hit. Another person gets up, gets a hit. Well, now people are getting encouraged. There's a rally. People get louder. People do weird things and put their caps on backwards. They do all these kind of weird things and stuff like that. But people start to believe. That's what we should do for one another. How are you growing in Christ? Well, this is how I'm growing. Well, man, that encourages me. Man, maybe I need to trust a little more. Maybe I need to step out in faith. That's what he's talking about. Comfort. Build each other up. Encourage one another. Give acclamations. Where acclamations are due. And then the last point is remembrance. Because deep love leads to remembrance, not forgetfulness. Look at verses 9 through and 10. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly day and night that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. So here you have, he's, he's making sacrifices, he's bringing comfort, he's acclaiming uh, them for their faith, and now he begins to remember them. And he says, here's how I remember you. I remember in regards to the memories that I have about you, and when I remember you, they are things that are pleasant, not painful. Now think about that. What memories are you making for other people? Because every time that somebody talks about you, are they saying, oh, Love them, miss them. 
Can't wait to see them again. Or they're just like, man, am I glad they're gone. That's on you. How are you living? How are you encouraging? How are you building each other up? How do you love those who are unlovely? Paul's saying, remember, become pleasant memories. And when you become a pleasant memory, you begin to be a blessing to others. You begin to connect with other people. Not every person, but with other people. Who are you connecting with? Again, Alistair Begg talks about their their, uh, children's ministry, and they talk about joy. Jesus first, others second, yourself third. Do you live that mantra? Do you put Jesus first, others second, and yourself third? See, that's the connection we need to have. Those are the memories we need to create. That this person loved Jesus the most and he cared about other people. He sacrificed. She sacrificed. She gave when it was hard to give. Time, effort, money, whatever it might be. And that is very challenging because then what Paul says is he says, I have been interceding for you in earnest. Now, I think in comparison to other pastors, I do pretty well sometimes. I go, I'm a praying pastor, and I do pray for you all, and I have a little card. If you're a member of regular tender, I have a card that I get to flip, and I get to pray for you and remember you. He says this, though. I thought I was doing good until I read the passage. He says, I pray for you day and night. I was like, dang it. If you guys get prayed for once a day, that's, that's good. And that's most the most pastors, if they're honest. So it's a challenge for us who you're remembering in your prayers. And I told you, the new shepherding groups are out, and I think you have every right to go to that shepherd. Okay, and they're printed up for you. They were sent out in the email. They'll be in the new Northside notes coming up. I think you have every right to go to the elder and say, are you praying for me? And then ask him, what are you praying? Now, that one's harder. Because the reality is what Paul said is the way that we are to pray in earnest day and night is this way. It's supposed to be personal and it's supposed to be purposeful. Who are you praying for by name and with great purpose? See, that's our charge. And see, this is something that everyone can do. This isn't just for the elders. It's not just the leaders. It's just not for gifted. It's just not for the young people. You know, the most effective ministries are the people who pray. Because you run to God. So again, I, I can do some things, but if, if my prayers are not going to the Lord, and if you're not praying for me, then we're destined for failure. I beg you. Some of the things, when people die off in this church, one of the things I just absolutely hate, and it rips my heart out, but what I hate is I use another person who prays for me. Because they've been more of the prayer warriors than teenagers ever have been for me. And that makes sense. But man, I need people to pray for me. You need people praying for these elders and the deacons and the staff members and one another. If, you're, if it's hard for you to pray for five minutes, I'll give you 20,000 names to pray for. It's not a problem. So pray purposely and personally, 
Why? Because what did Paul say? Because of what's lacking in our faith. So on this side of earth, we're never going to get it right. There's always something that needs to be changed, always something that needs to be fixed, always something that needs to be better in regards to encouragement. We all need to be doing that for each other. And where do we look? Do we look to Paul for that example? Do you look to your pastor? No. I hope I'm imitating, but the one we look to is Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the only one who's going to have scars in the new heavens and the new earth. And what does the scars represent? Well, he sacrificed because, remember, he gave up everything. Everything for us. He's about compassion because he has it on the, the hurting. You know the only people Jesus ever brought judgment upon? The religious people. Not Christians. The religious people who think they've got it all together. Jesus also acclaims because he transforms. And listen, your heavenly father delights in you. He knows you by name for goodness sakes. And he loves you. And he wants to spend time with you. And oh, does he praise you. When you notice parents, when my kids get up here, even if Jameson's off key or whatever, I beam. That's my kid. Mine. Gets his talent from his dad, the good stuff. What do you think God does with you? For those of you who think that Jesus is up there, God's up there, and you're coloring outside the lines and he rips up your paper and yells at you and says he hates your picture or whatever, he's the parent that puts the picture that's up there that could be scribbled on and he puts it on the refrigerator because he loves you. And you need to hear that. And then the last thing is he remembers you. Remember I, I talked to you last week, Satan, what does he do? He, tr- he wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to abuse you. He wants to lie to you. And what does Jesus respond? But I pray for you. Jesus prays for you. And so do I. So if you're going to get some scars... Get them because of love. Because our greatest example will maintain his scars forevermore. Always telling the story of how much he loved us and how we love one another. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the scars that Jesus bears for us even now. The scars through his hands and his feet and his side. Pierced for our transgressions. Death for our sins. But Father, because of that, death could not keep him and the grave could not hold him. And so he's resurrected and he's alive and he's well. And he loves his scars because he loves his children. So Father, minister to us today 
Thank you for the love through Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we love one another with the same feeling of enduring scars. That we might sacrifice, have compassion, acclaim each other's faiths, and remember one another in prayer. Lord, thank you for the ministry and thank you for your church. And thank you for your love most of all. For it's in that love that we cling and we hope and we pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said,